Who the bloody hell's that? Morning, Ange. Oh, Anthony. How are we? I'm really well. How are you? <laughs> Come on in. I will do. Thank you. Did that sound staged? Just a little. No, it's fine. fine. Yeah. I'm going to embrace the whole lounge pant thing next time. I'm going to put my University of New Hampshire lounge pants on. You should indeed. You're listening to the Corona Diaries, a sometimes random and often irreverent attempt to understand the psyche of singer Steve Hogarth. Oh look, there's your full nussnessnessnessness. Uh, is it there? Oh yes, <laughs> it's resplendent. I think I've caught a bit of sun, Anthony. You have caught a bit of sun, Stephen, with a I pH. Was, I was in the garden... Um, Pulling the ivory off the wall. Oh, you're still on with that? <laughs> oh Lord, that's that's a project. No, no, I'm I'm on the ivy in our garden now. I was on the ivy in the summer house garden before. I was on the Danish ivy. Now I'm on the English ivy. But I thought Lynetta had started that. She was pulling that off the wall for all she was worth. She was, and then you know she declared that she was allergic to it or something. She realised it was a shit job. Exactly. It was ruining her nails and uh, all of the above, you know. So I said, come out, come out. Let a a bloody, let a professional. A professional ivy ripper (laughs) have a go at it. (laughs) Exactly. So then I was in amongst it with the, you know, thinking, well, this is only a matter of time before I get bitten by another bloody one of them spiders uh-huh. but i didn't which was good so i thought i'll wear gloves because some people live and learn and i then they were hopeless so i took them off again because some and how, people and how are your nails some people don't my nails well i don't i'm not sure i want to share that with the listeners they're basically filthy Right, they, they do. They do need a good clean. They're they're proper working man's nails. I look like I've just come back from a shift in the foundry. Hmm. I mean, you don't. When I look at the rest of you, no, no. It's just the ends of me. Um, ends of your fingers. Arms. I, That's my hands, isn't it? While we're on this subject, <laughs> yes. it's very difficult to to find somewhere to buy a nail brush these days. Is it? Oh, mm. you, you need to go to a German market. There's brushes abound. Uh, you yeah, of course. Get, you'd have a choice of 50. Right. They, they, they do love a brush in Germany. I'll, I, if I, when I'm going to Berlin, I'll pick you one up. I'll pick as a nail brush up. I'll oh, bless you for that. <laughs> I mean, you just pick them off, off the floor in Germany. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, they're surplus, beyond surplus. They have no value, do they? You're walking and walking. They're you, yeah, you're stamping on them underfoot in Germany. Brushes, bottle brushes, nail brushes. They do like a brush. With those, you know, those nice woody ones. Oh. I, mm. Yeah, I quite like one in bamboo, if I could. Oh, yeah, I understand. Uh, so I'll leave it I'll leave it with a bit of that kind of burnt-in lettering on the side. Oh, yes. Okay. Nail brush in German. God, you, you know exactly what you want. Oh, no, you've got me on a path now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm on the All Nail right. Brush Express. 
There's the title for this week. <laughs> There's the title for the episode. I'm on the Nailbrush Express. So how's the Ivy going? Have you been posting regular update pictures? No, no, because I'm shit at all. As you know, if I if I had half a brain, it was you know it was PR conscious. I'd be uh, I'd be posting lots of Instagrams, wouldn't I? Of developments. Um, no, I haven't posted any pictures, but it's going quite well, and I've I've nearly done this end of the wall but i've got to go down the i've got to go down the bottom if you pardon the expression pornographers um to do a bit on the bottom left um because there's some down there but oh it's tenacious stuff so it is tenacious stuff and when it gets its aerial roots into a dry stone wall woe betide you if you want to remove it well, you see, I've got the same problem because we've got a lot of ivy in the fence at the end of the garden, and when it get and we left it for a year, and mm. oh, oh dear! Oh, I know. No, it's a sod. It really is. It's I amazing. ended up. I attacked mine with a, a wallpaper stripper. Oh, did you? Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, if you've got a fence, that makes mm. sense. But if you've got a wall, it's no use at all. I knew where you were going with that. As soon as you said, if you've got a wall, I thought, I know the line. And that is just... We've peaked. I mean, in this heat, it's not going to get any better this no, week. Cool, it's warm here. I tell you, I'm in the roof. So it's, uh, it is a bit of a, it's a black hole of Calcutta I'm sitting in here right now. Well, I do know because I've slept on that level on a warm night and it was a bit, it was a bit clammy. I bet it was, yeah. Yeah, it's a bit clammy. I've shut the door as well. I don't know what I was thinking. There's nobody in, is there? And I haven't opened the window. Uh, no, no, it's, no, that's a good point. I could open it again. Yeah. Do you want to do that now? Do you want to take a second? No, because she'll come clattering in. Right. She'll come clattering in with the dog in a bit because she's taken the dog for a walk. Um, It probably doesn't matter, does it? No, I just, I'll just, uh, I'll just, I'll just suffer because you know it'll, it'll make me more heroic. Mm. And that's that's what comes across most of the time with you. I know. Heroic if you ask most suffering. people, give us a word for Steve H. <laughs> Steve heroic. <laughs> oh dear, your eyes are saying fuck right off. Right, um. No, no, no. I was going to say, shall we start? But before we do, and just on the subject of Ivy, and this is a bit of a left move. How hmm. how do you feel about emulsioning? Well, I well, you're better off not painting Ivy, really. You're better <laughs> scraping it off. <laughs> That's a good line. I'll give you that. <laughs> Emulsion in what? Walls. How do you... Because uh, I find emulsion... It, it sounded to me like removing ivy you actually found quite therapeutic. And I find emulsion in walls... Ther- I don't like glossing, but actually putting emulsion on, I find quite therapeutic. Oh, I see. With a roller. With a roller or a brush, but yeah, I mean mainly a roller. Or a brush. I'll tell you something now, Anthony. I'm ambidextrous with, a, with such a paintbrush or roller. I'm completely happy... With it in either end. That's impressive. Mm. Well, it's nice, just how I am. I mean, the rest of things is either one or the other. Because, you know, I'm a bit left-handed and a bit right-handed. But it has to be one or the other. But for, a, for if I was painting a wall, either would feel right. Right. So, just, hang on then. 
left or right, it's either one or the other. Does that mean you shift preference depending on the task? Uh, yes. Yes, if I was to shoot you, I would shoot you with my right hand. But if I was to uh, pick up a spoon, I would pick it up with my left or clean my teeth or, or, or write a letter. I would write with my left hand. But if I was to then go and play tennis, I'd play with my right hand. So I'm kind of, I'm not ambidextrous in the sense that I can't write with my right hand and I wouldn't be able to play tennis with my left one. Uh, but the only thing I can do equally happily and comfortably with either is is emulsion a wall. Now, I think we've peaked twice now before the credit because I think that's an incredible piece of information because <laughs> I don't get that I do I everything is is predefined and I do everything with my right hand as far as mm. I, I can think I certainly couldn't eat with a spoon with my left hand oh I couldn't eat with a spoon with my right hand even though I even though if I was to play tennis or cricket or throw a ball I would do it with my right hand so Are I'm you right with your left hand yeah I'm quite split in that sense. Uh, bow, I would shoot a bow and arrow left-handed, but then I would play golf right-handed, very badly. But that's but I would play golf right-handed. Uh, I'm predominantly right-footed if I'm kicking a ball about, and I play a guitar right-handed. You do, and I wouldn't be able to play it left-handed. That would feel completely wrong. So I'm a crazy mixed-up kid. You are. Mm. Well, I think we'll let that settle. Let's start proper and, and let that settle because that's, I think that's massive. I think that explains a lot, actually. I thought you knew all that. You I see, didn't know all that at all. There's so much I think you know that I, that I thought I'd said. and I probably have. You're probably every bit as much of a bloody cabbage as I am. Yeah, I probably just wasn't listening. They'll write in and they'll go, we, we know this. Yes, We know yes. all this, they'll say. TCD 74 and TCD 93. Exactly. What are you on about? Where you been? Yeah. All right. You ready then? Yeah. One, six, three, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Yeah, let's go with that then. Hello and welcome to chapter 163 of the Corona Diaries. Hello. Hello. I don't think you can do what you just Everybody. did. I think Tory MPs have been lambasted for doing things like Le- that. Leave, just don't mention it. It was just a moment of silliness. <laughs> I won't mention Jeez. it again. That's I'll tell you what, what I will Mosley, mention. Max Mosley said when he got out of that jacuzzi. Yeah. But there we are. I'll tell you what I will mention. Yeah. Um, you've, Marillion have announced tour dates for November. Good God, have we finally announced them. I've, I've, I can finally talk about it, can I? And that's I a keep, real bloody relief. I keep talking about it going, shit, edit that out. I'm not supposed to say. We like, had to right, take about four minutes out of a recent... The Odds and Croon cast because we were banging on about the November tour dates. Yeah, I I email Lucy and go just checking it's all right to mention the tour tour dates and I get these no replies. Uh, so then we have to edit things out, and we did have to edit that out. And mm. I mean, actually, spotting the joins, we were really we dropped really lucky on that one because normally when we drop a bit, take a bit out, we take like an odd word and it's fine. Mm. But that, I joined two totally different pieces of conversation together. Oh. And I don't think anybody noticed. Well, I didn't. No, well, Not I don't think you've heard it. No, that's true. <laughs> so that's a nice little November Christmas 
<laughs> Inclusion. Oh, no, yes. a tour. Um, yes. Yeah, we're having a, a tour before it's Christmas. Ha, 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 And I think it came about because we were trying to do something special for the uh, YouTube subscribers. And Lucy said, wouldn't it be cool to do a gig for them? And, and we said, that would be lovely. And, and she found, she said, we've never done the Roundhouse in Camden. And we went, oh, no, that would be lovely. So we said we'd do the Roundhouse in Camden. And then we thought, well, if we're doing the Roundhouse in Camden, we better, we better warm up for it. And no, sod it, we, we'll do a little tour, you know, even better. Let's have a, let's have a whiz round. So... Um, she put some European shows in, but she put nothing in in France because France has started to get a bit difficult uh, of late post-Brexit. In fact, we're still owed a load of money um, for that show we did at the Zenith. When was that? Two years ago? Yeah. Um, it's not the French's fault. It's entirely HM Gov's fault. No shit, no surprises. Um, they're supposed to issue a certificate to the French so that they can release um, all of this money. It's either withholding tax or VAT or something. But it's about 30 grand. Um, and Ian keeps phoning them up and they keep going, uh, oh, yes, that we really need to do that. Uh, we'll get onto that. But there is a bit of a backlog. And they've been saying that for two years. So, and, you know, we're 30 grand short care of HM Gov um, and have been for a couple of years. So France is a bit awkward. For some reason, you don't have to go through all that for Holland and Germany, and I don't know why. But the the French need to see this certificate that only our government can issue, which they should issue and don't seem to be able to get together. Um... Maybe it's in Boris's back pocket. I do hope not. <laughs> Maybe it's on that burner phone they don't want to talk about. <laughs> That's funny, isn't it? I'm happy to release all my WhatsApp messages. Oh, what a star! What a what an honest chap. Uh, oh, uh, by the way, there's nothing before 2021. So basically, the year you're interested in, that's in a canal. Hmm, how very odd. Mm. What's the mm. chances? Bless him. Um. So anyway, just just going backwards to everything you've just said. Ah yes. Oh, the, the first, tour. Sorry. The, I... first, the first two dates are obviously in France. The first two dates are in France. Yeah. What I was yeah. going to say, and there wasn't anything in France to start with. Right. Okay. Um. And so uh, I said we've got to go to France. You know, we've done all these conventions. Um. And left France out. Um, and even done two in Holland, you know, mm. and God knows the Dutch deserve it because they've been so faithful to the band for so very long and remain so. But nonetheless, um, the Parisian audience has always been fantastic. And, and, and to be going, well, no, we're not doing that. We're not doing so so uh, I said, well, even if we have to leave early, um, you know, and start the tour a bit sooner, we should we should try and do France. So... We're going down to uh, La Laiterie in Strasbourg, which I remember well, and uh, the Trianon in Paris, which if I remember, if it's the one I'm thinking about, is a really nice gig. So, 
Yes, Strasbourg and Paris are on the front now. Um, there we've I think we've a night, if not two nights. In, is it two nights in Utrecht? It's two nights in Utrecht. Gosh, that will be great. Um, and have we got anything in Germany? Yes, you go. You uh, play Leipzig. Wow, uh, East you play Cologne. The old East. But at which point I'm sh- I'm assuming the Christmas market will be open. Woohoo! Uh, great Christmas market in Cologne. Mm, there is uh, indeed. And then you then you jump into Belgium. They do say the Magi, or or remains of, are buried in Cologne Cathedral. So oh. if you're going there for Christmas, pop in and see the Magi and uh, Balthazar and Casper uh, and uh, Melchior. I don't know if all three are in there, but there are definitely, supposedly, you know, definite in so much as if you can believe everything the church says, um, the Magi are in the, I think they're in the crypt at Cologne, in the massive, monstrous cathedral there in Cologne, which has the Christmas market right next to it. So if that's not Christmas, I don't know what is. No. Short of short of having Mary and Joseph and the man himself, you know, to hand, which nobody has. No. No, I think the only thing more Christmassy than that is is possibly, you know, Bruce McLean being in the building. Not Bruce McLean. <laughs> what was he called? Out of John McLean, out of Die Hard. Oh, Die Hard. See, I've never seen any of those. You've never seen Die Hard? No. Why would I want to watch? That's a load of macho nonsense, isn't it? Or oh, is it not? Oh, is it no, good? Die, no, Die Hard rewrote the book on what those films look like. Oh, I tell you what, though, I'm a bit of a hypocrite because whilst I'll call Die Hard a load of macho nonsense, I can't get enough of the Bourne identity. <laughs> well, I, well, I would you watch... are a bit of a hypocrite, though. <laughs> I'd watch that on a loop for weeks. Well, Lynetta <laughs> won't let me. Right, well, so the Bourne identity, th- those <laughs> films are very good, all three of, all three or four, actually, but all three of the original trilogy. They are brilliant. terrific, aren't they? And they kind of they kind of changed the Bond movies really because Casino Royale is definitely influenced by them. There's no doubt whatsoever. Right, he became um, a bit more, you know, oh, yes. go and beat go yeah. and beat someone up properly and have a proper fight. Didn't they? They became very brutal. After. Yeah, um, but, but if you go back far enough, Die Hard kicked off all that kind of change in action movies in in that point in time, whenever that was, late right. 80s or whatever it was. So you should you you should go and you watch Die Hard. When it's too hot today, find a cool mm. room and watch Die Hard. Oh, I haven't time today. I've got all sorts going on today. I'm going to Tring. You're going to I mean, Tring? Yeah, I can't be doing Die Hard when I'm going to Tring. <laughs> what are you going to Tring for? <laughs> That's where Ian and Lucy live. You can't say so, that out loud. Oh, all right. That's not where Ian and Lucy live. Ian and Lucy live quite near Tring in a small place that no one's heard of. Anyway, um, I'm going to Tring because um, Tring is a very important thing. Um, Because we're going to make a spreadsheet, Lucy and I. She found me up. She went, all these H gigs you're doing. I went, yes. She said, have you got a spreadsheet? I said, well, no. She said, you're going to need something. You can't even remember where most of them are. You don't know what you're getting paid for any of them. You haven't done this. You haven't done that. You haven't done the other. Yeah, I suppose that's a good point. 
She said, you're going to need to get your ducks in a row. We'll make a spreadsheet. I said, oh, okay. So then we were going to do a Zoom call today to make a spreadsheet to get my ducks in a row. And um, then I found my old tag watch, which uh, I bought in Heathrow Airport uh, back in 1990 or something. And um, there's a pin missing out the the strap. One one the, these pins screw together, and one's missing, so it's a bit iffy. And but there's a very good watch shop in Tring that uh, mostly has occasionally taken my tag watches to, and they're very good. Um, and if you take them to tag themselves. They're kind of rubbish. They send them off to a company in Manchester that fixes them and sends them back in the right state. I've had some bad experiences. I mean, they've probably probably addressed it and they're probably better now, I should say, in the hope of staying out of jail. Um, but you bet it's, you're better giving them to Mosley and getting him to take him to this little shopping tring where he doesn't live. Um, and... Um, so I suddenly thought, and then I had a very nice man phoning me up about test driving a car in Hemel Hempstead. <laughs> and I thought, ah, that's quite close to Tring. So I've blown out the Zoom call and I'm going to pop in. And we're, Lucy and I are going to do the spreadsheet personally. I'm going to test drive a little car in Hemel Hempstead. And then I'm going to drop my watch off at the tag shop. So I'm going to, as the Danes say, I am going to kill three flies with one smack. That's a that's a fairly full-on day. I like to keep busy, you know, because I think, yeah. you know, if you stop, you drop yes, dead, if you, don't if you? If you slow down. You drop dead. Yeah, you need to, have you, have you factored in half an hour every day for a word search just to keep the old grey matter going? Uh, I have a word search every 10, 10 seconds normally. So, and <laughs> I love this. I just this is I even this. had to stop and think of the word word then. What do they call them? You know, loads of letters. They go together and make a noise. What are they called? Xylophones. Now, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a word. That is I'm a word. Impressed. That's a great word in Scrabble. Marimba. Oh, Marimba's not as good. Lots of I's and A's. It sounds better. Uh, I mean, well, if, yeah, you, if you play it, not, not yeah. as a word necessarily. I wonder which is the worst if you drop them on your foot. A marimba most definitely. Right. Yeah, probably break your foot if you dropped a marimba on it. You'd get away with a xylophone. It's the last word on that subject. So mm. without Lynetta... And by mm. the sounds of things now, Ian and Lucy, yes. your life would just fall apart, wouldn't it? Oh, Christ, yeah. Well, would it fall apart? It would fall together in a much simpler way, I think. Do you um, think? Probably fall together in a simpler way, but I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't probably, I don't But I'm just thinking back to when me and Dizzy Spell split up and I did have a few, it wasn't very long, not nearly as long as I promised I would, but I did have a few weeks living completely alone and separate from everything. And, I mean, I did find that a lot less stressful. You know, just, I lived on liver and onions from Marks and Spencers. Uh, And... 
you know, watched the telly and I had my piano by the bed. So I could kind of roll out of bed in the middle of the night, play a tune and roll back in again. So all the things you can't really do when you're married. That uh, entire paragraph sounded like a squeeze song. <laughs> I lived off liver and onions from Marks and Spencers <laughs> with my piano by the bed. Yeah, well, let's get Chris Difford on the phone. He'd probably bang that together. <laughs> it could have been done before we finish this episode. Did I ever tell you, I probably have told you, that I sang I sang uh, Up the Junction with Chris Difford once in Warrington. I vaguely remember that. That's such a treasured memory. But anyway, I digress. I'm, I'm not name-dropping. I'm just saying that it was. it's such a treasured memory. Okay. To, uh, you know, it's a bit like, well, I guess it's like doing Hey Jude with Paul McCartney or, um, you know, Hajira with Joni. I mean, just just to be on stage with an artist of that stature, singing one of those songs with them, it's just mind-boggling. Where do you stand on Paul Simon? Only because he's kind of in the news at the moment. Is he? He's in. Why? What's he doing? He's got. He's got a new album out. Oh, okay. I think he's a total genius. I wouldn't want to live with him, but he's a he's a total genius. He seems like an odd character. He seems like a very, you know, dry little, you know, Prune. character. Not the life and soul of a party, I wouldn't have thought. No. Do, do you know what I mean? He's not. He's got. He's got. Hasn't got any charisma, has he? Doesn't appear to have. He doesn't have that bam thing. He, he's just got that very. Uh, just be, you know. Just be quiet and let me do my thing. And you get the feeling the the bands that he's got are all really, um, you know, drilled. Drilled to perfection. Um, And he probably, he's probably a bit like Bob Dylan, you know. He probably only speaks to you if there's something wrong. Uh, Or not at all. Hmm. You know, maybe you get... Maybe a note gets passed to you. <laughs> Paul wasn't happy about this in verse two. You know, you just get the feeling he might be a bit like that because he's so. Maybe he's just achingly shy. But be. he's a he's a genius. He's made some incredible music and written some great words. I mean, um, hearts and bones. My God, that's a oh. lyric. That's a lyric that reduced oh. me to tears on on certain occasions. Um, the arc of a love affair, just just that, mm. boom. Um, the human, you know, the human condition and the uh, the observation of it, and the the guts to roll it out there. That's what you need, really. If you're a if you're a writer, you need to be able to observe the human condition. You're at, you need to be able to observe your own human condition, and, and then have you know, be reckless enough or ballsy enough, whatever you want to call it, to to share that with the world. Um, and he's definitely got that. But I think a lot of his stuff is still a little bit in code, isn't it? There's a lot of what he says that you think, I'm not quite sure what that means. But I kind of get it, but I kind of don't. I um, what I love about him, apart, I mean, apart from lyrically, is he is 
you, you're right. Incredible in terms of um, a documenter of the human condition. I like the light touch to his music. I think a lot of the time there's some brilliant stuff going on there, but it's sprinkled really lightly. If you take something like the beginning of, of uh, Training the Distance, it's just it just floats in and it's just beautiful. And it's not, mm. bang, we're doing this. And it's got, this is got bits of this in it and bits of that. It just feeds it all in and it just, it kind of just settles on you. It's sophisticated, that's what it is. There's a great sophistication in how he arranges things. And as you say, there's there's a lightness of touch. There's nothing there that doesn't need to be there to paint the picture. Um, No, he's brilliant. Brilliant, brilliant. I mean, even that incredible drum part in 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover, it doesn't come in bang. It just comes in really effortlessly. Steve Gadd. Yeah, amazing. Mm. He's got very thin calves, Steve Gadd. I was in a room with him and he was wearing shorts. And I thought, what thin calves he has. So there's a little thing that the the listeners might not know. Do you, th- do you think maybe he needs to do a little bit more kick drum just to... Well, I don't know. I mean, he's, he's, he's a drummer of colossal stature, so I was expecting good, seri- good calves. seriously toned legs, yeah. Yeah, well-defined calf. But he has a quite a quite a thin calf. <laughs> well, both of them, in fact, not just a thin one and a thick one. <laughs> Which I, you could forgive a drummer for having a thick one and a thick one, and a thin one. I suppose you could have your kick drum calf might be a bit thicker than your high hat calf. Yeah. But anyway, who knows? Anyway, Steve Gadd, despite his brilliance and and the, I mean, he's a very solid, powerful drummer as well. You'd expect him to be built more solidly somehow. I was quite surprised at how lithe he is, uh, but my goodness, he's brilliant. He's one of, he's one, you know, he's one of the top, top five. One of my top five for sure. I'm now think I'm now seeing a t-shirt, right, mm. where you get the leg from just above the knee to just above the ankle, mm. and there's and there's about so there's like. Eight or ten pairs of legs across the middle of this T-shirt, in order of size, for you to d- determine which is the drummer, based on calf calf width alone. Right. Well, that would be interesting. What you mean for Marillion? Well, no, just what, every what? drummer. Just so. So I mean, I mean, obviously, I'm now going to ask when you're at, you know, when you're at um, Shea Mosley this afternoon. Hmm. Um, you know, if could I run a tape measure shorts, around his calf? <laughs> yeah, just, just, just excuse me. Ian. Can you pop a calf out? <laughs> I'm thinking about, I'm thinking of buying you some socks. Can I just <laughs> pop, <laughs> pop, pop a tape measure around there? Thank you. Yes, I've made, can I I've made a note of it. Two calves are the same. Ian? Is that all right? <laughs> yeah, can I measure the other one? <laughs> We've got a theory. <laughs> well. Do you know the, oh, re- the really sad thing about this week is that I've actually done some research about what we were going to talk about. Well, that's coming together nicely. And and we've been on for nearly yeah. 35 minutes. <laughs> yeah. And we're nowhere near, are we? We're absolutely well, nowhere near. Uh, well, we got on to Paul Simon then, didn't we? Then we got on to Steve Gadd and 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover. And well, late, in the e- late in the evening. Late in the that's evening. Steve Gadd as well. The two sticks in each hand. Doom, doom, Stepped outside and smoked myself a J. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. He plays on that, doesn't he? Who does? On bass. 
Oh, blooming heck. Peter Gabriel's bass player. Oh, was t- uh, Tony Levin. Tony Levin plays on that. Is he on late in the evening? Mm. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting, isn't it? Because uh, In Your Eyes had that vibration, didn't mm. it? It had very much had that rhythm. That wonderful, that wonderful um, horn section oh, at the end. Yeah, great, great. In fact, the song I like least, I think, of everything he's done, is "Call Me Al," which is probably his biggest hit, wasn't it? Thought that was rubbish. I liked the video with Chevy Chase. Yeah, yeah, but it's you know it's not a great song when you think of everything he's done. But that that's just me and my you know I like the moody. I like the Moody's visceral, you know, revealing stuff. And there's nothing about Call Me Al that means jack shit, really, is there? No. No, the re- and the rest of the record's actually so much better. You just feel like the record company said it needs a hit. It needs a single. Right, yeah. you know, write something. Which it absolutely didn't. That album didn't need a sing at all. J- jaunty and yeah, but if it hadn't got that song, it probably would have sell- sold, you know, a tenth as many copies. Mm. Because without the airplay, things don't tend to, you know, they either don't exist at all, or or, or they're a slow burn thing where people slowly discover them for themselves over twenty five years or something. But um, call me Al was what made. That was Graceland, wasn't it? Yeah. That was what made Graceland sell bucket loads because he'd got the the flagship thing to sell it on. And then, of course, he'd got the great story about about doing it with the South African band. And so it kind of, as a promotional tool, it, it, it had got everything in place. He just needed to get on TV and say it, didn't he? And, and you're without, right, Al got, without, got him there. Al got him there, yeah. Mm. That's how it is. That's why Sting always writes one, really. I mean, occasion. Well, no, I'll shut up about Sting. I won't start about Sting again. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna sully my declaration of Sting's genius. Okay, but well, it, but he is. He, he's a clever sod in the sense that he knows he knows what to put on an album to sell it as well. Because you need those two things to make a great record. You know, you 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 need you need eight great songs. And one phenomenal single, whether it's good or not. Hmm. Um, on the subject of things, because I came across this while I was doing some research. I've been, I've been, I've dug out web magazines this morning, and hmm. I've been reading web magazines about around about the time of when Fear came out. And mm-hmm. what caught me in an interview with you? There's a very good interview with you in the one that came out just before. It's kind of the the Fear preview issue, and you were saying how much you enjoyed an Aerosmith track. Hmm. And you were commenting it? on a track called uh, Janie's Got a Gun, which is from the Pump album. Oh, yeah. My God, yeah. That's an amazing track. And an amazing album. Yeah. Oh, I don't know the whole album. I just, I just, I'd just been listening to that, and I'd been listening really closely to it and carefully to it. And the sonics, the, the, the production is just shockingly good. Um, so... Yeah, if you're looking for a, a piece of shockingly good pr- sonic production, Janie's Got a Gun um, is worth checking out. And the album itself is it the production all the way through the album is 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 superb. 
It will be, yeah, because the same guy will have done it all. Who did, who did it? Do you know? Do you know what? I've no idea. I was thinking I might have a quick look while we were while we were talking, but it um, it was the only thing that it kind of surprised me because that kind of because that was very very mainstream late eighties hair rock. Mm. I mean, it's a very good example of it. Mm. Don't get me wrong, and it was really. I mean, in the NTV age, that stuff had to be good. There was a lot of yeah. very well produced hair rock in the late 80s because just the whole MTV thing drove it but um but I was just it's still interested that you'd picked up on that particular I mean Aerosmith are a bit different there's a bit more thought goes into Aerosmith there's a there's a there's much more thought they're much more sophisticated than you know the -the run-of-the-mill hair rock band um they've they've got all the boxes ticked really they're they're you know they they take a lot from the Beatles um, the the chords move around. Their arrangements are really intelligent. You know, um, they're they're quite unique in that sense. I mean, they're lyrically they're kind of like the Stones. You know, he's always just singing about tarts and dirty girls and things he gets up to up back alleys. Um, so you know, they're not sophisticated words, but they they. They do a job, um, but musically they're fantastic. And they're, um, you know, as a lead vocalist, he's a, he, as a front man, he, he, you know, he's right up there with Jagger, isn't he, and the best of them. Mm. Um, and, you know, as a lead singer, he's fantastic. And all of their vocal, uh, their backing vocals are, are phenomenal, in the same way as Queen's backing vocals were, were terrific. Um. So yeah, I've I've got a lot of respect for Aerosmith. There is a bit of Queen about them actually. Queen's a good analogy. Stones is a good analogy, but there's a fairly obvious one. Um, but the the, the there is a, a bit of Queen, that bit of pomp and that little bit of you know more sophisticated than just a rock group. Yeah, yes, as well in the writing, and um, you know, a whiff of the Beatles. Oh, well, there's definitely Beatles in there. Yeah. Interesting band, yeah. a phenomenal production, you know, very glossy, glossy, glossy. Right, should we go for a bit of diary because you've actually recorded glossy. it, haven't you? I have this week. I thought I'd get ahead of the game, and uh, it was Niall's birthday in Caracas, Venezuela, and I had a very interesting episode in the hairdressers. Here it comes. Monday, 22nd of October. Caracas. Woke around 11.45 and Skyped home. The internet here is mighty clunky and it's hard to get a constant audio signal. Video signal is also poor, but turning it off doesn't seem to improve anything. Open the curtains to a cloudy, misty day. We really haven't had much luck with the weather on this tour. It's been sunnier, though cooler, in England. Went down to the lobby and was followed by smiling security man, dressed in brown, Carlos. Don't know who has hired him, but he's following me around, either for my protection or my moderation. Who knows? 
ordered coffee at the little bar in reception and was immediately accosted by four guys with records and posters who wanted photos and autographs. Nice chaps who respectfully went and sat down when I asked them to just give me five minutes. I called them back over after the first cappuccino had hit my system and they showed me the gig posters. Not on paper, but some kind of plastic material, about five feet by four feet. They said they'd nick them from the airport. I managed to persuade them out of one of them and gave it to Niall as a birthday present. It has, of course, got his birthday, October the 23rd, emblazoned across it. Spent the rest of the day trying to gain access to the hairdressers. I later discovered that they're closed on Mondays. I'll try again tomorrow. The staff here are pleasant, but not bothered. Nothing really happens when you ask. It's not just the language barrier, they're just not asked. Spent the afternoon by the pool trying to get a club sandwich. It took an hour. The sun made a half-hearted showing in the late afternoon, but then clouded over again. In the end, I was joined at poolside by Niall, Nick, Andrew and Mark Kay. We eventually managed to get four club sandwiches and four beers for 80 quid, and that was after we'd haggled down from 120 quid. Viva socialism. I'm writing this on a sun lounger, and it's getting dark. Now the sun's gone down, the sky has cleared, and behind me, a mass of third world tower blocks with a mountain of rainforest rising up into the sky, and I can see the top of it for the first time today. I have the pool area to myself. I'll go and shower. It's the mosquito hour, so I'm asking for trouble if I stay out here any longer. Went out in the evening to the Hereford Steakhouse. We're a bloody long way from Hereford here. We all went because it was free. The promoter was paying. I wouldn't have gone, but it's my boy's 21st at midnight, and I didn't want to abandon him on such an evening. We sat together, and he witnessed, probably for the first time, the band talking good-natured drunken nonsense. There was much debate about how fast spiders could run if they were the size of humans. I kept saying to Niall, imagine trying to write a song with them. The food was good and the beers and wine plentiful. The restaurant itself is a bit of a dead spot. It would have been better to go to the Hard Rock or somewhere, but never mind. After that, we returned to the hotel and sat out on the terrace for a while. One by one, everyone went to bed until there was only Niall, Phil and I left. We hung on till midnight so we could wish Niall a happy 21st. Phil was fairly sloshed and I wasn't exactly sober. Phil was on his high horse about Caracas, saying he really doesn't like the place and can see no reason why we would ever want to come back. He's got a point. There's nothing in this country that really welcomes us apart from the fans. Getting in through the airport has involved parting with large amounts of cash. I've had my laptop stolen here already this year and the promoter makes it difficult technically for the crew to put the show together. Tuesday, 23rd of October. Caracas, show day. Woke to an email from Elle saying she'd gone out shopping, so went straight down to breakfast. Had a small omelette and some coffee before returning to my room to grab Niall's birthday cards from Lynetta and Sophie. Made my way down to the gig and gave them to him. He was visibly moved when he read them and asked me if I could hang on to them for now so they don't get lost. On stage, things were fairly chaotic. It's Venezuela. 
The room was a sort of a ballroom with tables. Jesus, we're turning into a cabaret band. I made my way down the corridor to the hairdressers and asked if they could do my roots. The salon operated in the classic socialist way, about ten staff doing nothing and two working. Nonetheless, César, who seemed to own the joint, asked me to come back in one hour as they were too busy right now. I did so and was shown a seat to where I waited for a further fifteen minutes observing the action. One of the staff sat in a corner bursting bubble wrap, one bubble at a time. It's a living, while another chattered on her mobile. Interestingly, all the customers, now about four, not including me, were men. Men of about 70 years of age, wearing suits and shiny tasseled slip-on shoes, looking every inch like South American politicians, were having their already short hair not cut, just sharpened round the edges. They looked very slick. Something very interesting was going on in the back room. I could see a woman placing a stick up the nose of a guy and then frantically fanning him with a Spanish paper fan. The longer I watched, the more I understood what was going on. They dip sticks in hot wax, which is wound round the stick like honey, but before it cools to a solid, it is inserted into the nose, whereupon the frantic fanning cools the wax further so that it solidifies. The stick is then yanked out, removing all the inner nasal hair. Ouch. I was offered the service, but declined. I would have sneezed for a week. Eventually, Cesar beckoned a woman in my direction, and she went off to prepare hair dye. She returned and began applying the stuff. It felt very concentrated, burning into my scalp. I mused at the thought of all my hair falling out to reveal a red and blistered bald head in time for tonight's show. Fortunately, that never happened. While the dye was cooking, Cesar offered me a manicure. They don't say that at Tony and Guy in Banbury. My Spanish is fairly non-existent, but there was something about Bonita mentioned. Don't know if he was saying I would look good afterwards, or whether the manicurist was particularly good looking. My right hand is currently covered in red marks around the nails from bashing the strings of my guitar each night during King, so I could hardly see the point of a manicure. A bit like doing a paint job on the car before driving it into a wall. In the end, they did a good job on my hair, they wouldn't take visa, so I needed cash. I promised I would return with money, and that seemed to be good enough. Went back to the ballroom looking for Frenchie, and bumped into Pete T, who gave me the money, bless him. Returned to the salon and paid up. He also told me that lunch was free in the restaurant, so I went back there and had an excellent bit of chicken and rice from the buffet. I was offered a drink and decided on iced tea. It was the best iced tea I have ever had. Soundcheck was okay. The crew had worked hard to get everything working. My sound was similar to trucks crashing in a tunnel. The ballroom is very ambient, and I'm getting a lot of slap of drums off the back wall. Oh well, as I've often said in the past, hopefully it will be better with the room full of people. Returned to my room feeling tired, and dozed for an hour before getting up and getting myself together. We had agreed to meet by the elevator on the third floor, and did so. 
Some bloke was checking into his room and said, What is the band playing downstairs? Marillion, someone said. Is it the original line-up with Fish, he said. No. Hmm. He vanished into his room. Well, it's only been 23 years. You can't expect people to notice. Down in the dressing room, I decided I was going to need help. I mixed a tequila and Red Bull, my first since the awful poisoning in Sao Paulo, and it did the job. I suddenly felt really cuddly and up for it. Barry Garber appeared, and we chatted for a while. There was an opening act on stage, quite a decent rock band. They'd just finished, so I went up on stage and sat behind the drum riser watching the crew working. Today is Niall's 21st birthday, and I wanted to be near him and to appreciate everyone's efforts. The room was rammed with people. I guess the tables helped it look busy. The gig was great for me, although I could see the boys struggling a bit with the sound. I spent most of the night pacing around in front of the mic line, no doubt over-singing, as I monitored with my in-ears dangling, mostly off the room. But I worked the crowd for all I was worth, and they went with it. It turned out to be the surprise good gig of the tour. Afterwards, stuck next to the elevators, I was mobbed for the best part of an hour, while nervous security man kept offering to pull me out of there, and I kept declining, saying the people are fine and I'll sign everything. It took a while. I was kissed on the cheeks a lot, mostly by men. After that, I had a quiet beer out on the terrace and a walk around the swimming pool, looking up at the half-moon, which was lying on its back, like a bowl. That doesn't happen in England. And we're back! And I was just saying I haven't read the diary. No! No, well, it it's quite an interesting read this week because there's a few reflections, you know. But the the by now the listeners probably think well, both of us are uh, slightly to the left of Tony Benn, um, you know, and socialists. Um, but. When you go to, as I did, you know, when you when you visit a country like Venezuela that is run to a, a pretty hardline socialist agenda, you start to kind of think, well, this isn't the ideal way. This isn't ideal either. It's funny that that um, you know, whilst whilst one can constantly lambast capitalism and the uh, the right wing uh, the, or the, the new liberalism or whatever you want to call it our current government um, you then go you then go to a place where which at the time was ran by a guy called Hugo Chavez and his agenda was to share everything out and and give all the you know rob the rich give to the poor give all the wealth to the people and that didn't quite work out either um and as i was saying you know, i went to the i went into this hair salon that was in the hotel and there was about 20 people with little white uniforms on working in there none of whom were doing anything. And one of them's just 
popping bubble wrap. And the other one, you know, the other one's on the phone to her girlfriend. And everybody's just standing about ignoring you. You say, hello, are you open? And they go, well, yeah. Um, there's that great moment in Ab Fab where, where she says to her assistant, Bubble, what do you do? And Bubble thinks for a minute and goes, um, get paid? And it was a bit like that. It was that Everybody was being paid, I think, uh, because it was a socialist government and looking after the people. But nobody was fucking doing it. <laughs> and I said, any chance of doing my roots? And they went, well, we're a bit busy. And there was just 20 people doing nothing. Can you come back tomorrow? So I went back the next day and there was, you know, and two of the, two two people in that place actually knew what they were doing and gave a toss. And they were the people who, who did the work whilst all the others just sat around. And it was just very strange. And you're thinking, well, this this economy's not going to last very long like this. And, of course, it went completely to the dogs over the next few years. Um, he was very anti-American, Hugo Chavez. And... That's the problem with being totally anti-American capitalism is that you then can't take credit cards because they wouldn't take Visa. Um, none of those sort of financial institutions or systems were were possible in Venezuela. So you had to pay cash for everything. Um that kind of alters the way that the economy works because it becomes a cash economy and everybody's on the fiddle. Um, I needed some local currency and I said, oh, I'll get, uh, yeah, I needed to pay. I said, oh, I'll go down to reception and get some money. Get, I'll change some money out. Is there a bureau de change in the hotel? And they said, well, there is, but you don't want to use it. There's a man on the street, he'll give you a much better rate, and he's just outside. And there was this guy outside, you'd go you'd go out of the hotel through the rotary door, and this little fellow would give you the money. Um you know, he would he would take the stir pound sterling off you and give you a local currency. Um so nobody in the banks seemed to be making any money. That 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 had all been kind of hived off into little blokes little blokes on the street <laughs> so you could, you could, you could kind of see where it was going you think this country's got a hell in a handcart and it, it did so it's you, you know the communism doesn't really work socialism only really works up to a point capitalism works up to a point and then becomes horrible uh, God knows what the. I think I concluded that that the Dutch system seems to work best. You know, uh, a high high tax capitalist system where where the um, the trains run on time and you can get an appointment at the hospital and there's loads of art galleries and there's loads of art and there's you know money money's pumped into culture. Um. And nobody's driving around in uh, Ferraris. You know, nobody's stupidly wealthy. Uh, but everybody seems to have what, what you know, a, everybody seems to have a good standard of living. Um, 
that's it's a bit like capitalism, but you stop it so far and say, well, after this point, it gets carried away. Yeah, it, so let's just stop it now before it gets it, silly. Yeah, it is really, and the, the you know the Dutch and, and the Danish seem to have that sorted out. Um, and interestingly, they're both paying a sort of basic basic tax of forty percent, which over here mm. would be considered to be outrageous. But the the truth is, if you want decent public services, and you don't want people driving around in Lamborghinis all day long, whilst other people can't even afford a loaf, and or you know, live, you've got nurses working their tails off and having to go to food banks, um, that that's no good, and it's not fair, and it's not right, and it should be illegal, and then you know that the, I'm sure there must be a way. The problem is that the people making in a position to make these laws, certainly within our own government, have vested interests in keeping all of those loopholes open for themselves. I suspect. Possibly. <laughs> well, when the general election comes in about, what, three weeks, we'll, uh, we'll have a chance to put this to the test. Well, yeah, we'll have a chance to put the Lincoln intelligence of the nation to the test, I think. Because if, if you're not sick of this government now, you know, when will you be? For the record, I've been sick of it yeah, quite a while. Me too. Um, I'm going to leave you to your fun-packed day. Okay. Well, I, I'm... Yeah. Well, I'm glad I managed to make a little point about Venezuela and socialism, just in case you, you all think I'm some kind of manic, you know, manic communist full of red hatred, which I'm not. I'm just a person person, really. Um, and it's a shame that people are exploited and while other people live in clover. That's If that's politics, well, well then, viva politics. It's got to be said. The, um, the problem is there isn't a political system for sensible, empathetic and humane. No. Bit of a shame, really. Thanks for listening to the Corona Diaries. It featured Steve Hogarth with the insights and me, Ant Short, with the questions. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing and maybe leaving a review as this will help others find it. You could even share with other like-minded souls, should the mood take you. This has been an A Short Stories production.